0: Welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. My name is Carrie Ebert, and my friend Michael from Grow Now Therapy is going to be joining me here in just a minute. And we are going to be talking about the end of Chapter 4 of the book that we have been discussing for the past few weeks, Most Likely to Succeed, Preparing Our Kids for the Innovation Era. And there he is. I made it.
1: How's it going?
0: Good. How are you?
1: <laughs> a special Wednesday edition. Here we are.
0: Wednesday edition because you and I just, we had to watch football on Monday That's night. That's
1: right. We did. That, and was a, that was a pretty terrible game.
0: It was the worst game. I think, um, you know, the Chiefs came away with the win. They didn't deserve it. Um, it was awful. But we aren't going to talk about football because it causes me an immense amount of stress. So oh, you
1: have no idea.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, we didn't even like um, smack talk or anything. Your team was playing my team and we thought it would be like fun and we were both just like miserable during the whole game.
1: (laughs) When you're a Giants fan, you don't do any smack talking. You don't do anything. All of our glory days are in the past. I had I have two Super Bowls that I got to experience during my college years. There you go. And, and since then it's been a bad, bad It's been time. bad. It's been <laughs> tough. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about well, your son's birthday though.
0: Oh, you know, he just turned 17 yesterday. And so it has been fun. He's very low-key. He doesn't yeah. like big parties. He uh-huh. doesn't like big chaos. He so it's very simple. We went to asked him where he wanted to eat dinner for his birthday, and he wanted to go to Chili's. Nice. So we went to Chili's. Um, okay. I Don't, you know, he, yeah, whatever. So he had his chicken strips and fries, which is his go-to meal. And we had a chocolate chip cookie cake because he doesn't do mm. real cake. So okay. we had a chocolate chip cookie cake and. You know it was uh, all in all a good day so he's excited i can't believe my baby is 17 but
1: crazy that that baby picture that you posted of him uh, like it, it's so crazy because i've seen so many pictures you post of him now as, uh-huh. as, as, as a as a big man Yes. and then seeing that picture like like i had to like double take it i was I like no is, is this really with him you
0: having a baby it makes you think oh my gosh she's gonna grow up and be here she is yes, look at her sleeping
1: S- special oh. live edition so my um, wife, my wife had to go to her book club. Oh, So okay. she has she has a book club here in Philly. So we're both doing our book club right now. I
0: love it. I love uh, it. So she
1: went to her friend's house, and I'm here with. So it, if I happen to disappear at all, and I I, I pause my camera,
0: it's because it's the baby needs you. The
1: baby is doing what she does best: waking yeah. up in the middle of sleep, in
0: the middle of the night. I love yep. it. I love it. But I'll Very keep everybody good.
1: updated. I'll just do this. I'll, I'll talk the whole time. Yes, yeah, you, so you'll and, just do that. There you and go. And you guys can just watch her sleep.
0: Yeah. I love it. That's <laughs> precious. That's precious. Yeah. The one funny thing I posted it on my social media page, but I remember Aaron's birthday and I always tell him, I know you were born on a Tuesday because it was election day. And oh, so yeah. I'm in full blown labor. We get in the car to go to the hospital and it was time to vote for the president. So I'm like, Jim, we have to stop and vote. So I'm in labor having contractions. So we stop and we get in line. And of course, all the people are like, oh, cause I'm out to here, you know, and they're all like, Oh my gosh, are you in labor? I'm like, yes, we're headed to the hospital, but I have to vote first. And they're like, pregnant lady to the front of the line so they all made That's room amazing. for me and so we That's went and voted and then we went on our way to the hospital so i always know aaron was born on a tuesday because of that story
1: <laughs> and aaron was your third third, yes. third yep. kid yep. wow yep that is, yep that is something else
0: it has been quite 17 a, quite years a 17 years 17. and it's funny he's autistic if if any of you are new and don't know uh, a lot about my family but Um, uh, I asked him, you know, are you going to learn to drive, you know, and he says, well, not now. But he said, I think I'm going to drive when I'm 25. So he has Mm. a goal. So when we talk about executive functioning, I love that he has a goal in mind. And (laughs) I like it. I like it. (laughs) So I'm not sure what's special about 25. He has sat behind his sister's car in the driver's seat, but he freaked out when she tried to turn it on. So he has zero interest at all. But you know, he sat there. So we're baby steps baby steps <laughs> do you think do
1: you think he would ever join us on one of these lives for like like five minutes
0: yeah he would he if we could talk about something yeah he would he would love to meet because he always knows he does animal posts for all of my followers and he i have said to him buddy sometime i think you need to do a live with me so he's curious about what this is because he knows when i go on live so i think he would and i would love for you to meet him as well so let's that would be awesome that'd be awesome and then i'll
1: i'll I'll wake my baby up we'll have them both Uh, on we'll
0: have a little family and they can wave to each other it'll be great it'll be great so (laughs) all right mike so we're finished up the longest chapter in a book i think we've ever read which is chapter four of most likely to succeed and um you know we could have just kind of moved on to the next chapter but i really feel like the end of chapter four has some real powerful information. So I really think if you guys are okay with this, I know this is our third week on chapter four, and normally we do one chapter a week, but this is a lot to take in. The chapter is called the formative years K through 12. And Mike and I talked right before we got on um, that you know we think we're on about page 119 or so where we start talking about the common core. But Mike, there was one thing on page 109. Let me see, is it 109? Where is it? I have it. Uh, 112, that I know we've mentioned this, and it came up in Finish Lessons, uh, the book we did last time, but Mm -hmm. it says at the bottom of page 11, it says that classroom teachers, okay, so we're talking about our teachers now in K through 12, you have class sizes that are among the largest of any in developed countries. Mm -hmm. Five or sometimes six classes of 27 students is the average load of secondary teachers in America, while teachers in schools serving disadvantaged students, meaning those like who are on IEPs those who yep. uh, need uh, you know um special education services um they have um uh, often have far more so you also spend more time oh no in disadvantage I see what they're saying in like inner cities that they often have more Correct. more students than you know 27 28 sometimes they have 30 35 students in their class so it says you also spend more time in the classroom than than teachers from any other developed country so um uh, Secondary teachers here in the United States spend an average of 1,100 hours per school year in the classroom, whereas the OECD average, and I wanted to bring this up because if you um, didn't read the second book with us on Finland, they talk about the OECD averages for everything related to education. So I had Googled it when we read Finnish Lessons. OECD stands for the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and it has 38 member countries. So basically, all of the big development countries. Um, they keep data on education. So I just kind of wanted you guys to know what that is. But the OECD <clears throat> average is 800 hours per school year. And guess what Finnish teachers are guess how much time they spend in the classroom? 600 hours hours because almost they have, half yeah they have so much more time for consultation for lesson planning for collaboration so no wonder our teachers are so stressed out here in the united states because when you compare them to um, other countries our teachers are working far harder with far more students with far less autonomy um, than anywhere else in the
1: world and here's the thing we know that finland is the number one country in the world for education but their teachers are teaching half the amount of time than American yep. teachers. So yeah. less, less teaching, better learning, mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. outcomes. So there's a, there's, that, there's a there, correlation, yeah. There you have it, there's a massive yes. correlation there. And there I, know, I know we have a lot of SLPs that, that are, are part of this book club and this chapter chat. And how many of you have done early intervention or school-based therapy where you've had to go into a classroom in an inner city or a low-income school and the classroom has about 40, 50 kids in it to one teacher? And you and you, you're just there to pick a kid up and pull out, or to observe. And you think, how does this woman? How does this uh, teacher? Uh, how how does the, this person run in the classroom? How does this person survive? Right. You know, they're making uh, they're not making good money being a, yeah. an elementary school or a preschool age teacher, mm-hmm. and their classroom is filled with students. And yeah. many of those students have IEPs. So that teacher has to spend time in IEP meetings, right. has to deal deal with the goals and everything yep. so yeah. there you go the v- preschools with tons of kids yeah there you have it's, it. It. it's
0: overwhelming overwhelming well, for everybody for the kids for the teachers for,
1: for absolutely that. everything and and absolutely. we know we know that amount of time teaching does not yet yeah, my poor son had 25 kids in his kindergarten class oh that's my that's, I mean, that's, my that's good excessive
0: friend. yeah that's, that's excessive. my good friend there yeah yeah so mm-hmm. so it, it, mm-hmm. it's uh,
1: it, it's it's really interesting uh, it is. And it it, is. It's, it's really amazing. You know, I'm so glad we read finished lessons before this book. Yeah, because uh, this book is really, really highlighting the negatives big time mm-hmm. and really painting a bleak picture of yeah. education in America and reading finished lessons before this really shows what it what's possible could be, yeah, exactly what's possible, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: the other thing before we we move on, page one seventeen, Mike, if you look kind of um the second to last paragraph, this is something that I am just really intrigued by because this comes up a lot in the s l p world is this idea of motivation, if you will, and so they they were talking about how you know what we've done is made kids have to read. Um, stuff they don't care about to the point where they don't even like reading anymore. It's kind of like they've, you know, snatched all the joy out of reading. So kids don't even like reading. So then they start talking about how they'll do these programs where they assign points to certain books and you have to amass mm-hmm. a certain number of points during the school year. So in order to earn points, you read a book and then you have to take a multiple choice quiz, you know, to prove that you read it. And they said a lot of these schools are displaying point totals to publicly so that kids compete to win the reading contest. So guess what happens? The really savvy kids figure out, Oh, I just need to read a whole bunch of really simple books. It doesn't matter what they're about or it doesn't matter if I, you know, I just want to read as many as I can because I need more points. Um, um, and then you have those kids who like maybe want to read uh, something that's of their passion but they're they're maybe slower readers or you know they they have a tough time reading so they don't get to a mass's number as many number of points and so it says daniel pink author of the book drive says that 50 years of behavioral science calls into question the validity of this if then approach right these yep. sort of if then motivators as in if you do this then you get that Um, uh, can be effective for simple, routine, short-term tasks, but for longer-term behavior that requires creativity and conceptual thinking, there's practically no evidence that they're effective. In fact, he said there's evidence that layering an if-then reward on top of something children already enjoy, such as reading, it can actually make them less interested in the activity.
1: So this is actually uh, because if they then thinking is an executive functioning skill. This is a, f- a crucial thing to think about. Okay. If, then, ca- if then cause and effect thinking is when you have the combination of nonverbal working memory, okay. the visual imagery system uh-huh. and verbal working memory, the self-talk system working together in harmony. So uh-huh. all executive functioning starts with visual imagery and the ability to make a mental movie And then Mm -hmm. verbal working memory, the ability to talk to yourself while you're making movies and combine them. And when you have those two, and a lot of people with executive delays or ADHD have weakened systems and it separates them. They don't work together. But when you do work together, it creates internalized if-then thinking. So basically the way it goes is if the future is going to look like that, if Mm -hmm. my day is going to look like that, if next week's going to look like that, then I have to do this. Mm. So all Mm -hmm. of these, so this is almost like these external behavior charts and Mm -hmm. those star charts that we all know are ineffective as speech therapists. Right. If you do external if-then, if you read this book, then you Mm -hmm. get a a point. If you do this, external if-then is ineffective because there's there's no internalized if-then that has Mm -hmm. to come first.
0: And isn't if-then, Mike, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but when I think about if-then, um, if I do this, then I can get, have this. It's almost like being able to delay gratification, right? Because the if then exactly is usually is. you have to do this thing you maybe don't love so much. But if you do it, look what's going to happen. It's that ability to delay that gratification. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that they brought that up. Um, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about we, the past two weeks, we've talked a lot about uh, language development, language arts, math. That's kind of what we talked about as we were talking about the common core curriculum. Um, And we know that the big movement here in the United States is all students college ready. Right. And that's where this Mm -hmm. Common core comes in that we want to make sure that, you know, every student is college ready, whereas in Finland, they make a, a big deal about um, vocational training that, you know, not every student is college ready. Some students actually choose um, to uh, work with their hands, choose to go into um, what we would call here a blue collar type job. And it is not frowned upon or looked down upon. And students are not made to feel less than if they choose that vocational uh, route, if you will. Whereas here in the United States, it's like you either go to college or you're just not going to be successful, you know, in the world. And so, um it is interesting on page 121. I knew you would love this, Mike. The second oh, paragraph. Yeah. It says, um um, there's the question of what isn't tested. You know, we focus so much on teaching to the test. What are they going to test on the SAT? What are they going to test on the ACT? Um, they say even at its best, the new common core test will not assess any of the so-called soft skills that matter most and are in fact the hardest to teach and learn. And what do we call those soft skills? Cause I wrote yeah, right next to my book or right there you the have set, it it's the executive exactly that nobody talks about I mean, our third book in a row our
1: third book in a row where nobody ever mentions it like uh our first book paul tuff mentioned it here and there like once or twice like once or twice but that's what it is soft skills yeah to me to me soft skills are like being like uh, having good etiquette on like an interview right and being Being tactful Mm -hmm. being tactful Mm -hmm. and being personable Mm -hmm. what what they're describing here no so once again You know, these are obviously people that have studied education and know what they're talking about. But the fact that executive functioning is literally not mentioned Mentioned. in every every Mm -hmm. paragraph of this book. And in every book
0: we've read thus far, this book called them character traits. Oh, you've got to have persistence and resiliency, and you have to be a flexible thinker. And, you know, we're like, no, 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 those are executive function skills. But they call them character traits, and this book calls them um, soft skills. So if you're new um, to uh, Chapter Chat, just know that Mike and I are very, very passionate about uh, executive function skills, and we both believe that they need to be explicitly taught instead of just sort of assumed that kids are going to get them because the more I read and learn about executive function skills, the more I understand that kids who have challenging behaviors, they are usually kids who have very weak executive functioning skills. And so we like to write them off as, oh, these are behavior kids, right? They, they have attention problems there. And when we really get down to it, because Mike, what do you always say? ADHD is an executive functioning problem I mean that's really it's a disorder of executive function it's not absolutely I mean it's just so interesting so if you're new make sure that you are you know reading everything you can about executive function skills and uh, I work with um, and focus on very young children birth to five Mike really kind of takes the older kids you know uh, middle school high school college age but it's so interesting that we can have the same conversation regardless of what age uh, child we're talking about
1: Yeah, and I know we have a lot of SLPs that are part of this book club, and I am a big fan of when speech and language pathologists become the leader on the team of executive functioning. Because, you know, all of the most recent research, like, the, the reason why I don't like the term ADHD is because it's so outdated. It's right. not an attention deficit, it's an abundance of attention. Right. It's not about hyperactivity, it's about self-regulation. It's not about inattentiveness, it's about self-motivation. And all of this comes from nonverbal and verbal working memory, that's the foundation of all executive functioning, right. and that's language. In order to use, you know Dr. Russell Barkley talks about this, in order to use your executive functioning internal, internal system, it's the same as the speech system. So the, the, the speech system of the brain I'm using right now to use my voice, Mm-hmm. is the same system I use to talk to my brain. And that's what executive functioning is, self-talk. Internal
0: language. And internal, internal language, language, that's my favorite term that I've again started using. That's because right. You taught me that term, but it is such an important skill. So they talk, call them soft skills. We know we're talking about executive function skills. So one thing on the bottom of 121, this is just very common. So here's one of the common core uh, items from the common core curriculum, okay? Um, they It results in students working on material that is merely, um, you know, going to be tested okay so um one of the you know in one video about a recommended approach to teaching the common core teachers are encouraged to spend are you ready for this eight days teaching martin luther king's famous letter from birmingham jail In mm-hmm. all of this time spent discussing the text there is no suggestion that the teacher might want to explore students experiences with racism or other topical issues teachers are supposed to require students to in quotes are you ready just stick to the text so basically it is it is like um, a cookbook of how to teach and you're supposed to spend eight days on it okay um uh it, one uh, there've been urban teachers who have seen this video and they literally laughed out loud at it. And one told us this guy wouldn't last a day in our classrooms. So I mean, this is you know what what's happening. So and and we talked about this uh, last week. Um, you know, is it going to be on the test, teacher? Excuse me. Is that do I need to know that? Is that going to be on the test? Um, so there's all of these you know this anxiety of I only want to learn and memorize stuff if it's going to be on the test instead of focusing on. Um, you know, things that actually matter in life. And so student motivation is still what I would I would agree with the authors when they say it's a largely ignored issue in education. We don't look at student motivation. We have a common core curriculum and everybody's going to learn the exact same thing, but we're not going to dig deeper. We're not going to look. So history, okay, let's talk about history, starting on page 123, if you're following along. Um, didn't you think this was interesting, Mike, that in that second paragraph, it says, Here's the deal our current education system began in 1893 and let's be honest there was a heck of a lot less history to cover in That's 1893 true. so we are now in the year 2021 there is so much more history and yet what are we still teaching
1: the exact the same history, thing yeah the history yeah.
0: that was important back in the 1800s right so um it, you know it, would you agree, Mike, that it's important for students to be able to discuss history and to be able to go beyond just simply recalling facts and dates?
1: And that's exactly what it is. So back, back on page 121 with the Martin Luther King thing, uh-huh. when teachers are supposed to require students to just stick to the text, that's uh-huh. the exact same thing as history, just the facts. And, right. the, and, and teachers are requiring students to stick to the facts, memorize the facts, Regurgitated, mm-hmm. onto, regurgitated. The, onto the test, yeah. and that's it. So it's just telling students to just stick to the text. When you're yep. learning about slavery, and you're learning right. about all, of, you're learning about black rights and civil rights,
0: uh-huh. uh-huh.
1: like well, th- that needs to be a discussion. Well, like, here's it's yeah. unbelievable.
0: It is on page 123. So, this is what I love about this chapter. They tell you what the necessary skills were in the 20th century and what the skills are necessary in the 21st century. So, for history in the 20th century, coverage of important events and figures, ability to recall important historical facts. Why was that important back then, you guys? Because the encyclopedia wasn't published until 1917. Google didn't come about until the 21st century. So, um, or, you know, maybe the end of the 20th century. The point is, back when our current education system was formed, you had to recall important historical facts because there was nowhere else to get them. The teacher was the only person who had the facts and they had to send them, you know, to you and you had to remember them because there was, there was no encyclopedia. There was no internet. There was nowhere else to get information. So information came via the teacher. Um, Today, what are the 21st century skills needed in history to be able to critically analyze historical events and sources, form independent views on dynamics and implications, write clear and thought provoking theses, ask questions, and engage in constructive debates, mm-hmm. not you're wrong and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, that <laughs> is not constructive right? Mm -hmm. And then relate historical developments to current issues shaping the world we live in. Hello! I mean, what is happening? Basically, social media has taken this role, because our education system can't do it. So social media now, that's where everything is happening. That's where the grassroots movements are happening. I mean, everything is happening on social media, because people with voices have had enough. And yet, what are we still teaching in school? We're still teaching you the dates of the Civil War. We're not talking about the implications, right? But the dates, and and who was the, you know, when was, you know, so-and-so in charge and, you know, what, whatever, it's not relevant. And it doesn't teach kids how to critically think about the issues because you want to learn about history. Because if you don't, history will repeat itself. And that is the last thing in the world we want to happen. But we have to make sure that we're educating students on how to critically analyze and how to critically and uh, uh, thoughtfully debate issues um, that are relevant to our world today.
1: And no wonder today we have so many people who are anti-establishment and don't yep. respect authority and are you know, think that everything they're being fed is fake news and a right, lie right. and conspiracies and all these right. things. Because look at what we have done to our most vulnerable population, uh-huh. uh, like uh, when we read these chapter chat books, I'm always I always try to compare what I'm learning to what I'm experiencing on a daily basis. Okay, and I work with so many, of course, specializing in executive functioning. I work with kids that have issues with self regulation, self motivation, and all of these, you know, uh, academic skills. So a uh-huh. lot of parents. Uh, see their children forgetting books at school they come home and they and they have homework to do and they don't have all the books uh, they see them taking way too long to do homework they see them with missing assignments and they think oh my goodness my son is is not doing what's right for school mm-hmm. I need to get him an executive functioning coach or, oh, okay. ex- or into okay. exec into executive functioning therapy you know s- sometimes the kids really do have an executive delay and sometimes you know, it requires a little bit more parent coaching. Uh, but nine times out of 10, I work with families that are, are night after night having these huge fights over homework, huge fights uh-huh. over them forgetting something, them not knowing what the homework is, teachers sending, uh, parents sending nasty emails to the teacher, how do you, how do you not let my son write this down? Right, uh, we're, right. we're, un, we're unclear what the homework is. All of these things, so number one that's that 's not allowing the child to develop self advocacy skills and uh-huh. to reach, reach out to the teachers themselves. The parents are stepping in, but the more we read about these books, the more that we, that we 're learning, this homework really is completely meaningless uh-huh. what is the, like it 's okay for a, a, a child not to be motivated to do homework and i've uh-huh. i 've sat with student after student after student and help them with their homework and they're literally googling all of the answers they're finding the answers right away they're copy and pasting there's no critical thinking there's no learning they're getting it done as they're getting it done as fast as they can so they can move on to a preferred topic so
0: my can i tell you when my son and then we had a question that we'll go back and answer but um uh when when they were Virtual learning, you know, so I'm actually like sitting with my son because he's learning here at home because of the pandemic and literally he would have these assignments where he would have to go to Google and they could use Wikipedia. They gave him like certain sources they could use and they had to copy, cut and paste into a document and that's all they did. They didn't type anything. It was just literally go find the facts and put it in this document and then we would hit submit. And that's, that's what I watched him do over and over
1: ridiculous. and over and
0: sometimes they'd say, say find an image on Google that represents this. So we would go and he would copy an image. And what he learned to do was how to get an image saved to his um, Chromebook that they provided him and then how to upload that picture. That's what we spent most of.
1: I'm sure he already doing. knew how to do that. I'm sure well, he already I mean, knew if if how he to he copy he did, He
0: does now, but I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. So I mean, I don't know how much he, he's learned. Here, here, one of the questions, Mike, and I think you can answer this very well was, um, is there executive functioning therapy for adults? Can you answer that?
1: Oh absolutely. There is executive functioning for adults all over the place. So if you if you live in the right area and you find you find the right people, you can find that. There yeah. you are never, ever, ever too uh, old Bold for firm. for executive functioning therapy. Uh, yeah. So there's there's always some you know there's always growth to be to be had. There's always yeah. ways to develop your visual imagery and your self talk and to yeah. develop long term goals. Uh, yep. It may it, it may look more like true therapy when you're older, kind mm-hmm. of helping you to organize your life than mm-hmm. when you're younger and your brain's a little bit more malleable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but absolutely, and and also there is highly effective medications, but that's. Obviously, a conversation for your doctor.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So um, I just, I, I have the word, "woe" written with an exclamation point. So I decided I better see what the heck this is on page 125, because I read this okay. a while ago. So let me, let me find my eyes here, um, because it says, to this day, we're talking about history now, the debate rages on over whether history classes should teach students what to think or how to think. The Republican mm. Party in the state of Texas, informing its 2012 platform on education, included this enlightened plank. Are you ready? <laughs> Quote, we oppose the teaching of higher order thinking skills, critical thinking skills, and other similar programs that have the purpose of challenging the students' fixed beliefs and undermining parental authority.
1: Wow. 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 So think, think about that. Think about that. Like, do you remember in the very first chapter of this book, we were talking about mission statements, education mission statements? Oh, yeah.
0: Because remember, I asked even on social media, what is the purpose of education?
1: Yeah. So, so parent, all your parents out there who pay for private school or pay taxes for public, if your school came right out and said, this school is about higher order thinking, which, uh, which, which uh, this school is opposed to yes. higher order thinking, uh, opposed to critical thinking and other similar programs uh, and opposed to uh, programs mm-hmm. that challenge uh, that the purpose of challenging, challenging the students fixed beliefs and undermining parental authority. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Think about that. Would you, would you want your son or daughter to attend a school that basically shrinks their creativity and, shrinks and critical thinking their, their critical mm-hmm. thinking skills? And
0: basically it's, we just want to control the curriculum so that we can control what you think and what you believe, because it is easier to control people if we can keep them from being innovative we don 't want thinkers we don 't want creativity but i 'm telling you um, Unbelievable. you know our country is um, in dire straits, and we are going to need some creative, innovative problem solvers to come into politics. We need to, I mean, don't even get me started on what we need to do with politics, because we need to start over. But um, it's something has got to change. Um, And I just love this. On page 125, at its best, history inspires kids, helps them develop essential skills, and shapes their worldview. The most compelling classes share similar design design principles. They are student- centered. They assume the facts are a given. So we're not saying don't teach the facts. We know you're going to teach the facts. Of course. But then we immerse students in thought provoking challenges. Students learn to critically analyze historical documents, form independent opinions, and engage in constructive debate. They connect aspects of history to their world today and can draw on other disciplines such as math, science the arts and literature to fully understand and communicate what they learn and even though the facts of the period aren't the focus of the class they retain far more information about that period than they would in a conventional i love this lecture-based class or as mike would call it lecture listen class right because that's what our our current uh, mode of, of education is is lecture listen you guys just sit so look at this this is what's amazing let's do the second one um let's say Uh, Oh, where was it? It was such a great question because they give these case studies. So in one Mm -hmm. middle school class, students spend a week memorizing the capitals of the 50 United States. Students cram for test questions, you know, um, some get it right, others get it wrong. Few remember it. Okay, A second class goes back in time and reads newspapers, journals, and diaries from the year 1850 when the seat for the first legislator of California was, believe it or not, Monterey. Students at first alone, then in groups, are asked to take a position on where they would locate the capital of California today, explain why, present their conclusions to classmates and debate with peers. Then they analyze whether the choice California made in 1854, Sacramento, for those of you who forgot your capitals, was a good one or not. Um, So I just love the way they give so many um, amazing examples of what we could be doing. It sounds like
1: sounds like Finland. It sounds beautiful. Sounds like Finland. And, And all you parents out there that are listening, you know, go through these chapters and compare it to your life, compare it to your child. Right. Think think about what school was like for you, and now think about your career now, and think about what your child is now going through. When yeah. you re- When you read this book, you'll probably think twice about next time fighting with your child over homework, right, or, or, right. Or, or going after the teacher uh, based on something that's happening at school. You Here's know, another it's, one. It's...
0: Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah,
1: You're no, fine. no, Go go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, this is the one that gets me the most excited. Like, this is the conversation we need to be having in school right now. Imagine for a moment, a new required high school class was called, What Does It Mean to Be an American? This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Imagine that the course begins with posing big questions that have no easy or right or wrong answers, such as, Who are we as Americans? What are the forces that have shaped us as a people and as a country? What are the current challenges that our country faces now? What are our challenges going to be in the future? I mean, it's just, it talks about learning. um, You know, I, I just, this to me is exciting. Like, I just can't imagine Uh, A student's not wanting to engage in that type of a learning environment. But instead, we're just stuck in the 1893 model of education, which is lecture, listen, wrote, memorize, regurgitate on a test, um, write stuff that's meaningless, read stuff that's meaningless, end up hating reading and writing, not developing the skills that you need uh, to be successful in life. Because again, what is our book? Most likely to... Six seat. Six
1: seat. There you go. Right. Right. And and, and and you and you mentioned you mentioned politics like don't even get me started on politics. We need to fix that program. Uh-huh. And, if, and, and if and if you or fix that entirely. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. Y- you talk to anybody about politics and you say, OK, what's the problem with politics? They're going to say it's corrupt because there's uh-huh. there's big corporations. Funding Mm -hmm. politics, whether it's the NRA or big pharmaceuticals or big or major corporations pushing for, you know, tax bills or rights or whatever it is. Uh Politicians don't fight for people. They fight for corporations on both sides. And that's the big problem. But guess what? The exact same thing has happened in education. And this book highlights that perfectly. Uh There's a reason why we have this model of kids being taught facts And then having to take these tests where everything has to be measured, measured, measured. And we talked before about these soft skills, these executive Uh function skills that they say are hard to measure but most important. Yes, those are the skills. We know what are the big predictors of success. Executive functioning, the ability to manage your emotions, the ability to maintain social relationships, and the the ability to independently problem-solve. That's right. what's going to help your son or daughter be successful long-term. Not the ability to, to do homework quietly right. for two hours after school, no. after, sitting, after sitting in school all day. For give seven me, hours. Give, yeah. me the, give me the kid who comes home from school and goes outside and rides his bike and goes and play plays sports. basketball g- and socializes
0: with his friends. G-
1: give me that kid. Give me right, that kid who's right, maintained right. friends all from first till second till, 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 till 12th grade. Give me yep. the kid who can who uh, who runs into a problem, knows how to self-advocate ad- and knows yep. how to find help, but doesn't spend two hours sitting at a desk quietly learning about the periodic table.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So that's great uh, to move into science, which is on page 127. And again, back in 1893, when our current education system was structured, um, uh, they decided to partition science into three subjects, physics, chemistry, and biology. Nothing has changed, right? So what's interesting today, most students take physics, chemistry, and biology. They learn definitions, formulas, and concepts. They do some lab experiments, but- Students learn very little, if anything, about important recent discoveries, or even they neglect entire sciences such as ecology, which actually has a a huge importance for our species uh, as a, you know, for surviving. I mean, it's so important that we start looking at our planet. So ecology, it would be an amazing, um, you know, scientific uh, course to offer. Secondly, students aren't learning what should be at the heart of science classes, which is how to think like a scientist and apply the scientific method. Right. So we're still teaching the skills in physics, chemistry and biology, those core disciplines without really figuring out and studying how the world actually works. Being able to form and test scientific hypotheses. Um, We should be focusing on teaching students how to ask insightful questions and how to design experiments. We should be able to build things based on scientific principles and apply those principles across all disciplines. And how about develop scientific creativity, right? So those are the things they talk about. Um, here's a great question. And Mike, I, am, I would love for people to answer in, in the comments, okay? This is, um, you know, uh, what, what does this come from? Um,
1: what page is it on?
0: Page 129 and 130, the very bottom of 129. They were testing a simple concept about the way the world works, okay? So this is one of the questions, okay? Two ice cubes are floating in water. After the ice melts, will the water level be higher, lower, or the same. Mm. Okay. So that's one question. Um, Yeah, because he wanted, this guy who designed this test, he just wanted to find out, once students take those three science courses, do they, when tested, understand simple concepts about the way the world works? And then, um, yeah, so the second question, two metal balls are the same size, but one weighs twice as much as the other. The balls are dropped from the roof of a single-story building at the same time. The time it takes the balls to reach the ground below will be? About half as long for the heavier ball, about half as long for the lighter ball, about the same for both balls, considerably less for the heavier ball, but not half as long, considerably less for the lighter ball, but not less, but not half as long. And so they go on to conclude that the students had really no idea. They couldn't, they don't know anything about how the world actually works. And we're talking about students who, um, you know, have taken chemistry and physics and biology, and they may be straight A students, but they still don't understand how the world works. And yeah. so, um, they talk about, it's this whole idea of plug and chug. We just teach, teach cheese, plug away, plug away. And, you know, uh, regurgitate on the test, um, instead of actually learning how to learn. So, just yeah, fascinating information.
1: I am someone with a high school degree. I enjoyed science and those questions kind of made my head hurt, hurt a little. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really mm-hmm. know the answer to a lot of those questions. Yep, yep, and and, yep. and here I am with, you know, a two, a, two master's, co- degree. a mm-hmm. master's degree, college mm-hmm. degrees and and a, and a high school degree. Why? Yeah. Because because all the science classes I took were lecture listen and, yep. and, and it, they didn't it's, mean
0: it's I didn't learn anything. Plug, I mean, I got plug an and chug. Yeah. But I uh, still yeah. Don't, yeah. I yeah. got
1: I got good grades and all of yeah. that. So so all you parents out there, the more that we're learning, you know, we're, we're talking about math. We're talking about history. We're talking about science. And the more we're learning about how outdated and corrupt, basically yeah. the educational yeah. system is. And then you see firsthand your kid come home from school and, and they they're exha- school. and they're yeah. exhausted they're, they're mentally, they're emotionally they hate school.
0: They're dysregulated because there's no movement. You have to have movement to stay regulated. Your nervous system cannot stay focused. It's really hard to have good executive functioning skills if you're dysregulated. I'm going to tell you that right now. And so um, kids sit all day and then they come home and they sit all night, you know, and and do homework. So look at 133, Mike. I just love this. The very first paragraph on this page. Suppose that our goal, so I love dreaming, the suppose in these books is, imagine if we could recreate education. Suppose that our goal in science classes was to excite kids about their world. Suppose the high school curriculum started with ecology, a topic that all kids almost all kids find interesting and one of immense importance to their future on our fragile planet. Then suppose we went to the science of stuff where we covered everything from subatomic particles to cells, to molecules, to materials, to geology, to planets, to galaxies. Then suppose we covered building things, structures, computer programs, electronic circuits, materials. And then suppose students did a year long independent research project where they used science to make their world better in any way of their choosing. Just suppose, do you think more of our students would leave high school interested in careers in science? Do you think they sure they'd be would. far more engaged? Do you think they'd learn and retain more?
1: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and, and what we were saying before was we're seeing our sons and daughters come home from school and they're disinterested, they're tired, they're dysregulated, they're moody, uh, they're mm-hmm. irritable, all of these things. And, you know, we take for granted our training and our learning. We're, yep. child, we're we're professionals in the field of education and child development. We understand kids, but the vast majority mm-hmm. of parents don't have the training that we have, and this is something I mm-hmm. always have to remind ourselves, uh, r- 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 remind myself of. Uh-huh. So the parents see their kids come home from school, and one of their first thoughts is, "Oh my goodness, my son must have executive functioning issues. Mm-hmm. He's disinterested. He's falling behind. He has unfinished work. He's not paying attention in class. Oh my goodness, what's happening?" but is it truly that this child has the brain differences of ADHD or is it, there is no joy? Or is there, is it that there's no joy and that executive functioning is never explicitly taught in schools right. because right. number one, teachers are under so much pressure to push the common core right.
0: and Teach to to the, to the test mm-hmm. and
1: everything has to be tested because yeah. everything everything has to be able to be measured to go back to pearson and the college board and the princeton right. review and yeah. and all of those things so th- what what we are doing to our vulnerable population of children and their mental health by pushing them through this unbelievably outdated system it's time to fix this
0: yeah I agree. I agree. So on page 133, we're going to try to finish this chapter. They talk about foreign languages, which is pretty interesting. And I have to say, I took five years of French. Don't ask me why I picked French, but um, that was what I picked. And I still remember a few words uh, from French, but never did learn to speak it. And now I understand why. On page 133 at the bottom, it says, the emphasis is on, is on reading and writing, not speaking. That remains the primary issue. And I think about that. I'm like, yeah, I learned how to conjugate verbs, and I yep. spent a ton of time you know, yep. doing that, um, but I never actually learned how to speak it. And so when they talk on page 134 about what skills are necessary in the 21st century for foreign language, true proficiency in speaking, understanding cultures and being able to navigate them, not just knowing the language, right? It's about the culture as well. Ability to collaborate across cultures and technology levered, leveraged, polylinguality. Polylingua- I can't I've Never even said that mm. word before, but isn't that something that being able to use your, your multilingual skills, you know, uh, with technology as well. So they have several pages. Um, and I, I love page 137 at the bottom. I just got to say, Mike, this is the kind of stuff I, I just think these authors did a fabulous job. They said, okay, so if we're teaching, um, uh, you know, uh, a foreign language in a way that would actually uh, be compelling, make it fun. Oh, huh, there's an interesting concept make learning fun, right? Read books, books the student actually cares about, have entertained discussions in class in the foreign language, watch movies in the language, find a partner class or student in a foreign country and use tools like Skype or FaceTime to really learn about life there. But don't require our kids to spend several years on something of no long-term value just to check off a thoughtless graduation requirement.
1: Unbelievable. Boom. And I mean... It- Is there a better example of uninterested students, teenage students, than in foreign language? So within their brain, it's so hard for them to, like, first of all, we're not teaching executive functioning. We're not teaching visual imagery. We're not teaching mental spatial time travel. And these kids, they're convinced learning Spanish, learning Italian, learning French is not helping me today. When am I ever going to use this? And And then how many adults do you know that grow up start traveling the world and say, man, I wish I knew Spanish. I wish oh. I paid I wish I paid attention in class. Well,
0: as an SLP, we should all be bilingual. I mean, well oh, yeah, by twenty twenty five, I think I can't even think what the number is, but I read a staff that like fifty five percent of students in American schools, their primary language will be Spanish. So I mean, you know, this is like a big deal. And somebody mentioned it in our comments here that I just want to bring up that if you're gonna teach a foreign language, you don't start when they're in high school. Yeah. When do you start? I mean, the United States is basically the only major country in the world that isn't multilingual. It's certainly, you know. It isn't at least bilingual. So here's my terrible joke. And if I've told this before, I apologize. But this is my terrible joke. Multilingual means you speak three or more languages. Bilingual means you speak two languages. Uh, Monolingual means you're American. I mean, it really is this cultural issue that we have that we don't think that learning more than one language is is important or is relevant. But then all of a sudden, when they're in high school, when the brain is not primed to learn a new language, that's when we decide now we're going to make it mandatory. You know, so I, I i mean, there's just so much that 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 is confusing to me about how we how we have our education system set up.
1: I think it's time to go to 141.
0: Yeah, we're going to this is how we're going to end. The I night, think it's guys. time there's hope. I mean, this is what I love is there's actual hope. So starting on page 140, they talk about the opportunity cost. And they say, Mm -hmm. suppose you were president of the United States and responsible for ensuring that our nation had a healthy, growing, competitive economy, right? Now suppose in touring the country you encountered a transportation system uh, consisting of covered wagons, a communication system relying on the telegraph using Morse code, factories based entirely on manual labor. If someone in a press conference asked you whether the United States could compete against China, India, or other aggressive economic powers, you'd say, well, we don't stand a chance of beating them, but I think we can hold our own against Bhutan and Chad, right? So our education <laughs> model dates back to the dawn of the industrial era. Okay, so this Un- is the vulnerable. problem. That's what we're still dealing with. Um, so we're demanding that our teachers cover more content, co- more content, do more test prep, and keep feeding the high stakes test beast, right? But there's no time to reimagine education. There is no time in schedules, and there's no time in the budget. So since we can't figure out how to reimagine it, everybody just keeps going, doing the same thing over and over and over. And there's so, that
1: word, there's that word educrats. On yeah, page educrats. Isn't that an Ed, interesting that's a, term? That's a, that is, educrats love to tie our system up in knots by adding new requirements, imposing new regulations and dangling carrots for compliance. So isn't have... that term
0: "educrats" a combination of educators and bureaucrats? Is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. People who are writing education policy. That's exactly but what it is. But it's the red tape, if you will. I always say that yep. the, you know I, I can't imagine. Um, you know, being in education, because there's so much red tape, you can't make any changes. I mean, if you wanna make changes, it's like, you know, uh, it's such a a rigmarole, which is the primary reason we homeschooled our kids for so many years. They did go to a private high school, but um, we homeschooled them um, because we wanted them to actually learn and to love learning. And I've never understood every student should get an A because you shouldn't stop teaching until every student has mastered it. But you can't do that if you have 25, 30, 40 students in your class. So you teach to the middle of the class and some kids are bored and some kids never get it. And then you have those few who actually survive it, right? Who do pretty well. So um, what I love is on page 141, they actually give us um, yes. some ideas yes. uh, to challenge our thinking. So they say, um, we can continue. These are our choices. We can continue training kids to be proficient at low-level routine tasks and to memorize content that they won't remember on topics they'll never use. And honestly, stuff that is on content that is Googleable. Is that a word that they can do? Sure so, I mean, you know, we don't, you don't need to memorize it because if you want to know the capital of North Dakota, if you don't know, um, you can find out in literally 0.2 seconds. So, you know, you, there is no reason to, to rote memorize low level, um, information, um, or we could, here's our other choice, embrace the reality that much of what school is about to be, to, can be outsourced to a smartphone, freeing yep. up time for kids to immerse themselves in challenges. Like, are you ready for this, Mike? This is the best part. This my I mean, this is my favorite part of the book. So the far. key
1: term there is freeing up time for kids to immerse themselves in the challenges. That yep. right there is the heart because and soul time of executive function.
0: Is one of our biggest enemies because That's there's exactly no time. I talk about this. I don't know if any of you work in early childhood, but one of the things that I see, I do a lot of consultations with early childhood centers. I'm doing one next Wednesday. Early childhood centers around the country, and uh, one of the problems that I see, I even see it in daycares and just uh, typical um, preschools, where just when the young kids finally get immersed in the activity the teacher looks at her watches okay kids time to clean up and i'm like oh my gosh it took 10 minutes just to get all the play-doh things out and for the kid to figure out how to even use a cookie cutter and he just now figured out how you know to like use the rolling pin and we're actually like getting some like uh, interest in it and now the 10 minutes is up so now it's time to clean up so time to me is our biggest enemy like oh we got to oh let's go clean up. and oh, what's that next what's activity. that book that
1: you always go out go back there and grab
0: which one is it? I don't know. I grabbed so many. The,
1: the hurried child. Oh, the
0: hurried child. Oh, there oh, you have yeah. it. Yeah, here he is right it here is, is right here because I grab it every week. I mean, this is one of, and this book is phenomenal by Dr. David Elkind, the hurried child growing up too fast, too soon. And he talks in there about the anxiety that we impose on children because we force them to live adult paced lives. I mean, our poor kids today have to go to a full-time job 40, 50 hours a week. And then on top of that, they have homework starting in kindergarten, they have homework packets, and then they have to go to gymnastics and they have to go to dance class and they have to go to karate and they have to go to cooking class and they have to go to Lego club. And they have all these um, extracurriculars and no wonder they don't know how to ride a bike because there's no time to learn to ride a bike. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder,
1: no wonder they don't know how to self-regulate. Right, because uh, the
0: adults are doing it for them because their schedule is set. So there's no time for boredom. So kids don't ever learn to be creative, how to think for themselves. They don't know how to um, um, self-soothe because the minute a young child, I can't use my phone because I'm talking on it, the minute a young child at Walmart or at the grocery store gets upset, what does every parent do? hands them their phone. So they don't learn how to deal with tough emotions. They don't learn how to deal with big emotions. They just know that, yeah, or boredom, heaven forbid, they get bored for five seconds, you know? And so um, then we wonder why kids go to school and can't sit still, can't focus, can't listen, can't do non-preferred tasks because we've never expected them. Yeah, we've never expected them to practice those skills. So I'm telling you right now, those skills don't come naturally. You have to practice executive function skills. And if we're not explicitly teaching them, then that means kids aren't ever practicing them. And I think that um, handheld technology is creating um, a generation of children with executive dysfunction because they're not learning how to delay gratification. They're not learning how to persist through non-preferred tasks. I mean, there's just, there's so many issues.
1: When kids are overscheduled, they are always going to be prompt dependent on adults yep. and yep. prompt dependent on the external, the world around them, whether it's an adult, or a teacher, or an IEP, or a 504, or a phone, yep. or a screen, or, a or an iPad. Right? They're, mm-hmm. they're 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 going to need <laughs> the world around them, right? And they're and that's because they're overscheduled. Then eventually they're going to go to college, and there's going to be some free time where they're going to be mm-hmm. ex- where it would be great if they could do some work or join a club or do something. Mm-hmm. But they're going to spend time in their dorm room and they're going mm-hmm. to play video games and they're going to sit on their phone and they're going to sit mm-hmm. on their computer watching youtube and because this there's is why because they
0: not an adult there regulating their time
1: absolutely right? because because they don't know how to do it they don't know no. how to do it they you know p- uh, i've heard so many professionals joke about how colleges are going to have to start changing the dorm buildings to put a little place for mom to stay to go in and con- to go <laughs> in and con- and, and <laughs> constantly prompt their college age well, students but this is why a- this is why we leave the world in college dropouts because yep. we never teach executive functions. We never teach independence. And we have a nation filled with overscheduled, hurried, very kids. smart
0: kids, though. Because remember, in the first book that we talked about, we read together, you know, we talked yep. about how we've been focusing on the wrong set of skills. We yep. have decided, starting in the late um, uh, uh, 1990s, we, the cognitive hypothesis was born where we decided the most important thing for children to be was smart. Instead oh, of teaching them how to be responsible and how to be kind and how to be able to be organized and be how to be able to plan and how to be have self control and you know, so instead of that stuff, the soft skills, if you want to call them them, instead of focusing on that stuff we 've decided being smart is the most important thing. so we start force feeding academics to infants and toddlers, force feeding letters, numbers, shapes, and colors, claiming that that 's going to make them smart. I got to tell you, Mike, I did a post last week on i don 't something related to executive function i can 't remember exactly what, and one of um, somebody who read it actually commented and said, "I am." I was a 4.0 student and in high school, I went to college and I did not succeed. I could there not survive college. And she just kind of told her story. And I, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what Mike and I talk about a, a, on our chapter chats is being smart is not gonna make you most likely to succeed. Nope. And that's where our education system has failed um, over and over because we have decided that being able to score high on a test and being able to wrote, memorize useless facts that being smart is what makes you successful. And it is not that it is the create the creative thinkers, the innovative thinkers, the people who can delay gratification it is the people with very, very strong executive function skills and paired with obviously cognitive skills, right? I mean, there you have to be obviously have intelligence and have some degree of, of smartness, if you will, to succeed in the world. But we can't put all our eggs in the smartness basket and say that's all that matters, because if smartness was all it took, then we wouldn't be the, the leading country in college dropouts.
1: Executive functioning is a greater predictor of success than IQ. It yep. always, it always has been. It always will. It be. always will be. And and where are your tax, where are your tax dollars going? They're going towards academics. Yep. They're going towards teaching. They're going into the pocket of Pearson and the people who make the textbooks the and the yeah. the, the, the yeah. testers. That's yeah. exactly where it's going. The it's, educrats. It's, right? it's yeah. The yeah. the educrats. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. So yep. so and the number one thing is it's gotten so bad and teachers are under so much stress, and all of this stress is transitioning now to the students. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you all of the classroom observations I go in, all of the schools I work at, kids are stressed, they are anxious, and they have an unbelievably low self-image and self-worth. It is a really scary thing. To see how kids feel about themselves these days. Because well, and especially
0: if you have dyslexia, or if well, you have ADHD, or terrible. if you, you know, if you have any kind of, um, any kind of a learning struggle whatsoever, I think the curriculum is never designed for any type of neurodivergent learner. So, um, if you are neurodivergent, if you have any type, you know, if you don't learn in the traditional way, you already are going to have self-esteem issues, and that starts early in elementary school, where kids figure out, oh, I'm not good at school. I don't do math. I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. I'm not smart. My sister's smart. I'm not smart, right? I mean, so we have, you know, kindergartners and first graders asking for a tutor. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, whatever we're doing. And somebody said kids are not necessarily smart because they get A's, but our education system says they are. That is the problem is we have said in our education system, if you get all A's and if you get a high score on your SAT, you're smart. That means we've done our job well. And our school is gonna be a blue ribbon school now because we have so many students who are smart and yet those smart kids aren't necessarily successful. in school. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and, and someone said here it's social media that's contributing to anxiety and low self-esteem. How much do schools spend on appropriate social media use? How much do schools do they spend? do any? It, it, it might be maybe like one thing in the auditorium one day for an hour. That might wow. be it. It might just I mean, be don't you one thing. I think there
0: thing? should be a class on um, social media responsibility it, or citizenship, social media, citizenship. Like there's, the and there should of be, the be parent
1: coaching. There should be, should, yeah. we need to coach the parents on what's appropriate. I, I just had a yeah. call with a parent with a parent today about a kid now who is so addicted to TikTok, He's been freaking out at home because he needs to have more of it and his limits on his phone what it's yeah, doing it's to a, be- and
0: it is addictive we know that there there's been so much research done that shows uh excessive screen time becomes addictive and it's like a drug and they need it and they can't function and they'll sneak it and they'll steal it and they'll do whatever they have to
1: it, it it's it's crazy and you know yeah. on you know, on this book in this book on page 141 uh these are probably, yeah let's talk about these are, these are probably so far the most important pages in this book, 141, 142, 143. Uh, yep. So so why? Because this is – so they start by saying freeing up time for kids, the thing that needs to happen, kids mm-hmm. need free time to immerse themselves in challenges like the following. Number one, learning how to learn.
0: And, Mike, I just have to comment on this because this is my new autism program. And if you'll notice, what is it there called? There you go. The learning to learn program because i when i and and when i wrote this this is all about foundation skills that very very young children um uh need in order to be successful and i now recognize that these skills are actually what i would call pre-executive function skills these skills that i talk about in my autism program are things like joint attention and non-verbal imitation and there is a, a, a section on self-regulation sensory you know being able yeah. to be in a ready that's state a, that's for all learning. executive
1: functioning yeah executive yeah and so
0: Oh, my gosh. And then early language development and play skills. And so those are my five learning to learn skills. And I just died when I read this. And they said the number one thing is learning how to learn. I'm like, hello, I've been saying that. I've been an SLP for 26 years. And for at least 20 of them, that's what I've been focusing on, is we have to teach kids how to learn. They have to learn how to learn you can't send them to school and say because they know their letters numbers shapes and colors they're ready for school that is not what determines school readiness and here's another soapbox because i'm clearly on one right now <laughs> is there is a difference between school readiness and academic readiness and mm. i think this is where we have gotten mm. used, because i think what we hyper focus on right now is academic readiness oh he knows his letters he can count to 100 he can spell he knows i before e except after c like he knows a so he has these academic readiness skills. But I'm going to argue that there are plenty of kids who go to kindergarten with academic readiness skills who don't actually have school readiness skills. Because I truly believe these foundation skills, These and now I understand what I'm talking about, is truly executive function skills that those, or what another term, Mike, you and I have used a lot lately is non-academic skills. That's Correct. another way I like to explain EFs, right? Is So we always want to focus on the academic skills that, hello, what about the non-academic skills? What about the stuff that actually makes you ready to learn? So learning how to learn, I couldn't love it more. What's the next one there on page 141, Mike?
1: That's huge. So first of all, this whole school versus academic readiness, uh-huh. my, my goodness, you can have an entire master's level course on that topic alone, it's that, huge, that's, isn't it? That is that's un that is unbelievable, and we. I we literally draw of-
0: an umbrella, Mike, and I say um, school readiness is this umbrella term. And underneath yep. school readiness, you have academic readiness. I put that on one side of the umbrella handle. And on this side, I put learning to learn skills. Or yes, you know, is what I would now call them. So to me, that's... Unbelievable. And, and the problem is in education, we're only focusing on the academic readiness. And we Correct. call it school readiness because we're Correct. confused. Because the educrats have made everything so mushy that nobody even knows what we're doing anymore in education. So I think if we could actually start... You remember how in one of the books we read, I can't honestly remember which one, they said, what if we had an executive function, or maybe you and I came up with this report card. Yeah, you know, that a was a hard uh, for academics. But I think, what if, the I think they called yeah. it a character report card, didn't they? Yeah, Wasn't character, it in this one? character he report card. Yeah. You and I were like, no, yeah. no, no, we call it an executive function report card where we actually listed all of the executive function skills and we talked mm-hmm. about those. And then we could say, oh, and by the way, he knows all the states uh, capitals and he, you know, can do long division by hand, whatever. I mean, that's great, you know. But um, OK, so the first one is learning how to learn. The second one is how powerful is this coming from SLP's?
1: communicating effectively this life skill will be important almost every day of an adult's life unless they end up in solitary confinement of course (laughs) schools teaching grades 7 through 12 do a miserable job of teaching kids to write Mm -hmm. and overall public speaking making a video making a blog and using communication to interact with others
0: and achieve a range of objectives like you should be able to write and be able to speak um public speaking is i mean i, I yeah it there's so, they talked they did a whole section in this chapter didn't they on public speaking
1: so basically you know, us present. us as slps we you know, like remember we talked about how uh in in finished lessons america does the what is it prevention versus uh, remember they talk about how, how uh
0: Oh, Prevent- is it preventative pre- or reactive? Like pre- preventative, preventative versus yeah, basically. reactive. Uh-huh. And that's
1: basically, so uh, us SLPs, we work with the kids that have been flagged to have right. these learning differences and to have these mm-hmm. disabilities to teach them how to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. What's, happening, what's happening to all the other kids? They're, right. being, they're being stuffed with these academic skills that mm-hmm. are doing nothing and they're never getting the chance to work with an SLP one on one, a communication yeah. specialist one on one, to learn how to effectively communicate.
0: Well, Mike, let me ask you this: When I think about like life skills and what you need to be able to, you know, do, I mean, you're if you go to a job interview, wouldn't you agree that you're basically publicly speaking? I mean, you're having to talk. Of to, Maybe you have three or four of the bosses, and you're in an interview. So we better make sure that every student graduates being comfortable. And, and they talk about in this in this chapter about being able to speak about topics that are important to you and being able to defend yourself. I loved, we kind of skipped over it because it's such a long chapter, but they talked about debate class and how important debate is. But on page 114, I just literally laughed out loud when they're like today to compete as a debater, you're trained to speak at 200% or more of your normal speaking cadence in order to make more points in the allotted time. You speak so quickly that ordinary mortals cannot even understand you. And what you talk about has come from the bins of research that you have dug up on often arcane topics that no one really cares about. Sadly, watching high school debate is like listening to two different podcasts being played at three times the normal speed. And then having someone tell you in the end, which podcast had more sentences. So that's what debate is. So that means our debate today isn't even teaching, um, you know, how to have, um, effective communication right effectively being able to argue and when i say argue i don't mean fight and scream i mean argue to be able to have a conversation where maybe mike you and i differ on something we have a differing opinion and we yep. should be able to have a civil conversation with another human being and we should be able to respectfully disagree but we should be able to make our points without having to scream and holler and punch and defame somebody on social media but that's kind of the world we live in now isn't
1: it and it, and it's impossible to measure did the world get this way because of our educational system but you can pretty much assume it is you can yeah, pretty well much it has helped i mean
0: nothing's it, changed it, it, it,
1: and and no one learns how to no no one learns how to communicate effectively no, no one we're not teaching kids how to learn how to learn communicate maintain relationships and we're yeah. not giving them time like the like the, this whole page started we're uh-huh. not freeing up their time to immerse themselves in in these experiences remember yeah. varied experiences yeah. and interpersonal relationships those are, those really those the, are the foundation yeah. to lifelong growth not yeah, absolutely math and science and social right, studies.
0: Right, right. So the other um, skills that they talk about here on page one forty one, collaborating productively. Say, I love that word, productively and effectively right. with others. Um, these are essential skills that don't just come down from the heavens the days the, the day the student gets their diploma. Right. Um, it, the teachers tell us over and over. We try having kids work together on projects, but it never seems to work. One kid ends up doing all the work, and the others just tag along. So there is not genuine collaboration, even though they. They say they're doing it. It's not, it's not, it's not genuine. And I can tell you, I don't need to get in this, but when I was in grad school, I had to work with a partner um, on uh, evaluations. We were taking our, our um, evaluations course where, you know, you had to learn to administer uh-huh. standardized tests. and write Diagnostics. Reports. And yeah, diagnostics. And we had to write a report together. Do you know how hard it is to write a report with another person? You have totally different writing styles and she was lazy and she didn't have any insight. And so I just wrote the whole thing and she signed it. And we got called in after about our third report. And the professor literally, asked me did and she called us in separately did I write the report and I said well she scored this part of the test but she said but did you write the entire and it was, these were remember back in the day in grad school we had to write 10 page evaluation oh yeah it's like there were so many oh, yeah. and I'm like oh yeah. well, yes I wrote most of it and um she ended up getting kicked out of grad school because she didn't have any skills whatsoever but yet she was writing coattails of people because we were doing collaborative work but see it's not collaborative right so it's a problem Um, creative problem solving is the next one over and over employers tell us the ideal characteristics they would like to find in new hires is being a creative problem solver and yet we seem to have um uh uh, students who have you know high academic pedigrees but who can't seem to problem solve
1: too so every single one of these bullet points we're going here on 141 142 143 every single one is executive functioning and they're yep. going every single one of them can be tied to an executive skill which is some why mike are, and i
0: are writing a book on executive functioning we have to get back to it mike got
1: some of them some, late, late. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Some of, the, some of them are blatant executive skills like creative problem right. solving and some of them have to do with other things learning how to learn that's more right. metacognition and things like that right so so parents when we're all you parents out there when we're going through this bullet point list think to yourself when is the last time you saw your child learning these things. And uh-huh. for, for those of you here with older children, think, when's the last time your child had an experience where he had to problem solve? When's uh-huh. the last time he had to communicate effectively with others? Uh-huh. When's the last time he had to collaborate productively? So How think, about this one? So look at yourself, the next page,
0: managing failure. How in, important
1: in, is that? In, in, in today's world, In today's instant gratification world, managing failure, we need to kind of dumb that down. I hate using that phrase, Uh but we have to dumb that down to managing boredom. Kids kids today can't manage failure. They can't even manage boredom.
0: Right. Right look at what it says. It says, school today is all about risk aversion. Both kids and teachers are discouraged almost hourly from trying anything that might not work. Wow. Understanding how and when to take risks, how to deal with setbacks, and how to handle the expectations and criticisms of others are all skills that need to be taught and learned. I just love this so much. I mean, ah. I just I don't even know this is great because being able to manage failure means you are able to be resilient you use that term a lot Mike right we have to make sure kids are resilient that you can fail that you can try something new that you can fail that you can accept that you failed that you can learn from it and that you can try again and try a different way right try something else and so being able to manage failure is a huge one the next one Mike affecting change in organizations and society I mean wow if we really want to make a difference in in this world isn't that what we should be doing I mean don't we want the world to be better when we leave it than when we entered it I mean it's, what we're, it's
1: what we're doing every Monday night
0: that's right we're trying right <laughs> um, and I love this even most clubs and after school programs are defined and led by adults with very little student input wouldn't it make sense to give students as many opportunities as possible to improve their school their community I mean this is oh
1: yeah Okay. It's unbelievable. It is. Make, All right, we
0: need to finish up the next ones. What's that one, Mike?
1: Making sound decisions. So, oh, which is basi- which is basically a catchy way of saying inhibit your impulses and right. think and think things through and use cause and effect thinking, like yep. we talked okay. about before. Are you going to make an Are you going to make an impulse decision based mm-hmm. on what's happening in the now? Or, are you, going to are, you, or are you going to project yourself in the future to make sound decisions? And don't you love this,
0: Mike? They say yep. as we overschedule our kids, they have fewer opportunities to make their own decisions and to experience the consequences.
1: There you go. Exactly. Managing projects and achieving goals. Yep. Managing projects, a quick way of saying long-term projects. Right. Right. How to independently chunk it out. Or are we going to make kids be reliant on an IEP and a right. teacher to, to chunk it out for them?
0: yep look at building the
1: next one. building perseverance and determination from paul and tuff
0: paul tuff the very first book we read in our chapter chat how children succeed by paul tuff and this book references him paul tuff in his groundbreaking book how children succeed cites the research of angela duckworth and others on the importance of a set of character attributes that are more important than iq mike and i would challenge that those are actually executive function skills and then the last one mike on page 143
1: uh, we have leveraging your passions and talents to make your world better Isn't how are perfect? we go- how are we possibly going to leverage passions and talents when we're teaching to the test That's when right. we're telling kids to stick to the test
0: right, when we're right.
1: Pushing down their passions and right. pushing down their creativity. Yeah, I don't and want that's you to think I don't want you does. to be creative.
0: I just want you to sit back and just listen because I'm gonna read, wrote to you what it is I want you to know about a situation. And if you live in Texas, they're gonna tell you we actually I mean they actually explicitly have a law that or in their um um their public what is it in their education platform that says we oppose the teaching of critical thinking skills. So there you have it. So anyways, um Mike, yeah. we are finally done Chapter Four. It took three we weeks, are it but took we three finally weeks. Finished Chapter Four. So what's our next chapter? I got to find it here. What are we reading next? So week? I
1: read a little bit of the a little bit of Chapter Five tonight. Uh, it's about the college degree, the gold ring, the college mm. degree. Okay. Uh, so it's really talking about how, for years and years and years, getting that college degree was super important to success, mm-hmm. and in to, and in today's world. No longer. And to show you guys a little hint of something that I found fascinating in this book yeah. was here is the chart of rising student debt.
0: Oh, it's awful.
1: So right there. 151. And, and, and this chart ends in 2013. Can only imagine what it's like in 2020. And also, uh, this, is, uh, so this is colleges getting more expensive uh-huh. and college grads making less and less money.
0: And see, that's what I just, my my daughters who are in college right now, one of them just graduated. And she's like, I don't understand. Um, She's going to be a teacher. And she's like, I don't understand because teacher salaries have hardly increased at all. And yet student debt has like quadrupled from like five, 10, 15 years ago. She's like, I don't understand. And I said, Welcome to um, our our messed up world. Like, I mean, nobody can explain it, you know? I mean, salaries aren't rising, but the cost of um, education is. So, um, it's
1: It's it's wild. And, you know, what's really going to be great when when we're reading this book is for all you parents out there who are in the book club, who are in the chapter chat book club, think about what's happening overall, you know, in your day-to-day experiences with your child. How does your child feel about school? How are they acting when they come home? What's their emotional state? What's their mental health state? And where is the source of arguments? I I talk to parents every day. This homework fight is not worth it. Whether they get their homework done tonight is not going to affect them long-term. It's not going to affect them getting into college. If it becomes a serious issue, meet with the teacher and find time for him to get the homework done at school. Mm -hmm. Home. we need to free up kids time Away from screens, non-screen based experiences, and we mm-hmm. cannot have a generation of hurried children.
0: Right, right. And if we're not going to, if they're not doing homework, we don't want them playing video games. I mean, I think no. that's part of the issue right now is they don't want to do their homework because they just want to go play video games. That's not an alternative, right? I mean, we are talking about getting kids back. One of the the um, pages I follow on Instagram, it's called a thousand. Hours of play, and it's all just yeah. all the research about how important play is, and it's about getting kids outdoors and riding bikes and skateboarding and you know climbing trees and and it's just it's it's something that I've just been so passionate about for so long. Is you know where have the children gone? That's my favorite question. You go outside, and I'm like, where have the children gone? Where are they? They live where in the neighborhood, they? but they're never to be seen. So, um, I, would so love many to see, I would love
1: to see a chart of bike sales. Oh, I would love to see how during much. During the pandemic, s- you know, they
0: skyrocketed because the, uh, people were home. Well, that's they good. go anywhere. That's mm-hmm, a positive mm-hmm, thing. But mm-hmm. before, the,
1: before the pandemic, yeah. I bet there's a correlation of when the iPhone started to come out and yep. when social media blew up and bike sales decreasing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there is probably a correlation. All right, Mike, as always, this was another fabulous uh, another night. Another
1: fired up Wednesday night. Fired baby.
0: up, yeah. It was Wednesday <laughs> this week. Next week, we'll be back to our Monday night um normally we try to keep these to an hour we are terrible at that never if you stuck with us the whole time we really appreciate (laughs) it so it basically took us almost four hours to get through chapter four so that's that's quite the chapter yeah yeah. i think i I I think everyone i think everyone
1: knows that we love to talk uh we get Mm -hmm. very passionate uh, you know, yes. and, and there's no preparation goes into these chapter chats. Nah, we literally, we literally, you know, today was probably the first time we texted. I texted
0: Mike at like seven <laughs> till, uh, we, minutes before we started. I said, Hey, yeah. what page are we starting on? And he just laughed and he's like, yeah, five minutes before we get online, but <laughs> we've read the stuff, yeah. it's just you know, we just get on and talk. So that's what we like about chapter chat. It is just conversation. It's not scripted. It is not rehearsed in any way, shape or form. And we're just very grateful that we um, communicate well with each other. So okay. That's
1: right. And, and all you people who spend your evening with us and everyone we who's here it. every single time. I got so many messages on Monday. Hey, where's chapter chat? Where's chapter <laughs> chat? It's the best. Allison Moulton and all you people yeah. out there. Thank, yes, thank, thank you, you guys so much. Thank
0: you. Yep. And if you're listening on the podcast, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, we really appreciate that as well. So Mike says we're doing well on the podcast. Download. Big so time
1: that's big time. pretty awesome so international international fame
0: i love it i love it all <laughs> right mike you have a wonderful full week all of you uh listeners on chapter chat have a wonderful week and we will see you next monday we'll be back to our regular time 8 p.m eastern okay
1: sounds good see you then
0: all right bye guys bye. Take
1: care.